So Austin, I learned something insane about Weezer today, and I thought maybe you should hear this. Uh, okay, you learned something insane about Weezer. Lay it on me. I did. So I am a pretty big Weezer fan, and I've always referred to their albums that they they have a blue album, a green album, a red album. They have colored albums. Like uh huh, yes. And, and I always thought that was the name of the album. Okay. But as it turns out, Weezer has named six albums Weezer. So their no. their first, third, <laughs> sixth, tenth. 12th and 13th studio albums are called Weezer, which I've never heard of before. Yeah. I mean, I was very familiar with like the self-titled non-debut album and what a weird phenomenon that is. In fact, I was going to talk about how Fleetwood Mac has two albums named Fleetwood Mac, their (laughs) first album and also their ninth album. Nice. But you already one up me. I mean, preemptively Weezer, (laughs) like, Eight? Six. Are you kidding me? Six. All right. Well, I shot a little high there, but I mean, six, eight, whatever. It's an absurd number. It is an absurd number. And I love Weezer, but I can't believe that they just continued when they were thinking of, so, you know, the first album's called Weezer. Totally normal. That's a very... Yeah, that's completely standard. But then their second album was Pinkerton, and then their third album was Weezer again. So they... Skipped one, called it Weezer. Skipped two, called it Weezer. Skipped three, called it Weezer. I, I just, I don't know. I don't. I don't now get it. I would assume the motivation here is to, you know, you've you've got your debut, and maybe it does well, maybe it doesn't chart, whatever. And then, you know, a couple albums down the road, maybe you you kind of hit it big, and then you're like, okay, well, now we want to release the uh, self-titled album so we can kind of draw people in you know, kind of explain a little bit about who we are as a group. But Weezer, I guess, felt like they had to do that. <laughs> explain like, it six times. times. Yeah, yeah. It's uh... So like every two or three albums, they're like, you know, I don't think people really get us. Yeah. We need, to, we need to maybe circle back to the Weezer thing. So who are some of your favorite self-titled non-debut albums? Well, I really liked the the double from Fleetwood Mac. Like I said, you know, the yeah. Fleetwood Mac and then the other Fleetwood Mac. Not a lot of people know this about Fleetwood Mac, but Fleetwood Mac was actually like a totally different band, but they kept the name Fleetwood Mac. Like they were originally fronted I'm sorry, by buddy. this guy. I think a lot of people know that. Maybe they don't, but I feel like that's a pretty common Fleetwood Peter, Mac. Peter Green was the leader of Fleetwood Mac and then he like OD'd on drugs or something like sure. that. And he went real nuts. <laughs> sure. Then they became a pop band and that totally makes sense. You're like, okay, Fleetwood Mac again. Now we're a pop band. Come on back in. Yep. I really like the, uh, this is not the, the non-debut album, but I really like, I've always enjoyed Bad Company. Yeah, Bad Company, Bad Company, Bad Company. Yeah, exactly. The triple, you know, you got your lead single, you got your band name and your yes. album name yes. are all Bad Company. Iron Maiden did the same thing. Iron Maiden's band, Iron Maiden album, Iron Maiden song. Hmm, I did not know that. And I know quite a bit about Iron Maiden. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. not, obviously not that much. I'm just a, <laughs> not a, casual, a casual enjoyer of the Iron Maiden. We had the White Album by the Beatles was actually called The Beatles. That was their ninth studio album and the first time Makes they made an album, The Beatles. Okay. Um, Sublime's third album was called Sublime. Pretty good album. Uh, David Bowie's second album was called David Bowie. But then they renamed it Space Oddity. I, yes. I've been doing my homework. You know, then then once he, uh, you know, once he became famous, they were just like, we're going to go back and we're going to give this a real name. <laughs> Did you know that the Beach Boys 28th album <laughs> was titled The Beach Boys? God, they're so ridiculous. 
yeah, I mean, the fact that they even have 28 albums is just outrageous. But they're like, you know, I mean, it, this came out, this album came out in 1985, <laughs> which is like, you know, 20 years after, you know, the whole surf rock thing. Kinda, <laughs> they're like, by the way, our name is the Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah, it's 1985, right? Like, I mean, like, we're in the whole era of like synth pop. And uh, we just, we just want to reintroduce ourselves. We're the Beach Boys. Album is the Beach Boys. So what is this for us? This is our eighth episode? It is. Welcome to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. Welcome in to the eighth episode of It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom. We're going to title this one, It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom. We are recently hosted by Sports Illustrated, so we figured we would take the opportunity to self-title uh, this eighth edition after ourselves and uh, maybe uh, reintroduce ourselves a little bit. I'm Austin. I'm Taylor. And, uh, you know, this is kind of, this is our little thing where we we have It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. We're huge fans of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So, you know, you'll see us celebrate Always Sunny, celebrating us. Um, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to make some Chiefs magic happen. So for those of you who have not listened to the show before, maybe one of our newer listeners, this is going to be a pretty standard episode. We've been doing a thing, uh, which, by the way, we came up with this idea first. The Chiefs are now doing this through their official media channels now. They probably are listening. They probably are. That's probably why we're on Sports Illustrated now. Uh, we're going through week by week from the 2019 championship season, and we're recapping a game. We actually do have some news to talk about this week, so we'll probably do that first. Um, Sammy Watkins notably restructured his deal, and then the Chiefs have also signed a couple of players, so we'll talk about that a little bit. So we are talking Chiefs-Texans, and then we wanted to talk about the uh, all-decade team that was recently released by SI, our, uh, our corporate overlord. Uh, we have a little bit to say about that. Maybe, uh, maybe a snub here or there. Hmm? And then we were going to close this out with uh, something fun. Last week, we actually did a draft of our all-time top quarterbacks. So go check that out if you haven't already. This week, we're going to draft Pat plays. So we are going to go through and we're going to draft our favorite Patrick Mahomes plays. And I'm very excited about this. I am as well. We're forgetting all those other idiots we drafted after 1-1, which was Pat Mahomes. And we're just really narrowing it down to what the people want, which is all Pat Mahomes all the time. And, you know, we're the, we're the best vehicle to deliver that message. So let's get right into it. Let's, let's talk news first. News, so, news, 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 house, house. Uh, so the big news on Friday morning, very early in the morning, it was like three in the morning. Yeah. Our guy, Therese Taylor. God bless Therese. Therese, always up, the corporate champ, getting after it, had a scoop. So essentially, Sammy Watkins, uh, the, the gist of it is Sammy Watkins restructured his deal. So he has an entirely new contract. It is still only through the 2020 season but it did free up about $5 million in cap space for the Chiefs against the cap. So Sammy Watkins for sure is going to be back, the Chiefs' number two wide receiver, back on the field for the Chiefs in 2020. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge boon for the offense. Um, it's something that although we expected something to happen with Sammy, I think a restructure, it, it feels the best case scenario for everyone involved. 
the Chiefs get to keep their leading postseason receiver from last year. Sammy obviously gets uh, some stability and he gets to come back and run it back with the Legion of Zoom and the champions. And I, I just feel like it's a very feel good story from a guy that started off pretty rocky in Kansas City with his high price tag and spotty production. It's now he's a he's a member of the family. We're running it back. Beloved member of the championship team. Sammy agreed to take a little bit of a haircut, but he also got a number of incentives that theoretically, if he were to earn all of his incentives, he actually would end up making more money than he's currently making. But the way that the Chiefs work this with their cap magic, those incentives are determined to be not likely to be earned. And what that means is if he does end up earning those incentives, they'll actually go on the Chiefs 2021 cap. So they're going to save that money no matter what. They've already used some of that money. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but they did free up that $5 million, turned around and reinvested it, the money moved around in a circle. Um, but what I really liked about this incentive structure, the three biggest incentives on there in terms of monetary value, which I think were each about a million dollars, if memory serves, I don't have it right in front of me. But those were for winning the AFC championship game and having a certain number of yards, Winning the AFC championship, that's right, 800 yards, and win the AFC championship, that's the important part. Each one of those incentives ended with win the AFC championship. So if the Chiefs end up paying out all of Sammy Watkins' incentives, that means they're going back to the Super Bowl, and that's a good problem to have. Yeah, the incentive breakdown uh, was pretty interesting. It also included eight touchdowns, which I think is a funny incentive because of how up and down his last season was, where he had three week one and then none until the AFC championship game. It's just kind of, you know, I think that is a good thing for the offense to try and focus on is to get Sammy the ball in the end zone a couple more times. And then, yeah, it's funny there. The postseason incentives are eight touchdowns. The team makes the playoffs is 750,000, 65 catches and the team makes the playoffs. Another seven, 750,000, 800 yards in the playoffs, 750 AFC championship win and 50% snaps in the game is $1.25 million. So if they go to the Super Bowl and he's any part of that, he gets over a million dollars for that. And then, yeah, he has another 65 catches and the championship win, another 800 yards from the championship win is a million dollars for each of those. So he is definitely going to have an extremely vested interest in not only the Chiefs' success, but staying on the field and staying healthy, which yeah. makes sense for all parties. It's a, you know, the Chiefs want Sammy, but they want him if he's productive and if he's healthy and if he's contributing to the offense. And Sammy will be paid very handsomely if he does that. So I think it's the good news for everybody. And uh, I'm excited that the Chiefs brought all their pass catchers back along with, you know, the Demarcus Robinson news last week means that really Blake Bell is the only missing piece from, oh, I guess LaShawn McCoy. LaShawn McCoy and Blake Bell are basically the only two offensive pieces that even really that even played that are not going to be back. So LaShawn McCoy didn't play in the Super Bowl, you know, or, or like the last six games or whatever it was. Yeah. He was not really part of the, the playoff run, but I'm just thinking of guys that had chiefs helmets last year. And yeah, basically other than Blake Bell and am I even missing anyone else that's left? I think those are the two. Yeah. I mean, that's really, that's really it. Um, all of the receivers are coming back. All of the running backs are coming back. And in fact, there's another running back being added to the running back room just today. We're recording this on April 8th. The Chiefs announced, or rather Trez again, announced that the Chiefs were signing DeAndre Washington, former Oakland Raider. So he is going to be in that running back mix. Uh, he has been playing in the league since 2016 
four seasons with the Oakland Raiders. So I know Chiefs fans are very familiar with him, but I had not realized until today that he actually, he came out of Texas Tech. So he actually is a former college teammate of Patrick Mahomes. Guns up, baby. Gig him. Might as well uh, get, get somebody that Pat's familiar with. And I mean, I don't think he's going to do much outside of special teams, I would think. Uh, but you never know. They, the running back room could look a lot different here when by the time the season starts. And another warm body, another guy to get uh, to push Daryl and Darwin and the guys at the lower end of the depth chart. Obviously, Damien's still the guy until further notice. But um, it probably also throws some cold water on the Chiefs drafting a running back 32nd. Well, yes, and that is good because running backs should not be drafted in the first round. I, I don't think that the Chiefs were ever interested in doing that. I mean, you'd have to go back. I mean, the Chiefs have the highest the Chiefs have drafted a running back since Andy Reid came to town was third round. I mean, they they grabbed Kareem Hunt and I believe Jamal Charles were both on the Jamal would have been before Andy came. But those were third round picks. The Chiefs do not invest heavily in that position in the draft. And honestly, why would you? Um, I mean, to me, this this signing is very reminiscent of when the Chiefs signed Damian Williams two years ago. Just a very similar type of back, a smaller guy. He actually is even quite a bit smaller than Damian Williams and a guy that in Oakland in his first contract uh, coming into the NFL really was primarily used as a receiving back. And so didn't get a ton of work, but we saw what happened with Damian Williams when he got to Kansas city and he got the opportunity to start. And he obviously he's dealt with some injury issues and some inconsistency, but boy, he is Mr. January and uh, Mr. February. <laughs> yeah, he is uh, second in active players in postseason touchdowns with 11. He, for, for a guy that hasn't gotten a ton of run in the regular season, uh, you're right. He is Mr. Clutch. And he was kind of just a guy. And I think that speaks to your earlier point that running backs in general, you just shouldn't put a lot of eggs in that basket. There's just a lot of ways you can get production out of that spot. And it's, it's lines and schemes and, and a lot of different things other than just a really expensive running back. And uh, I would have been pretty disappointed if the Chiefs had spent that first pick on a running back instead of oh, corner sure. or linebacker or yeah. something that um, I think would have made a much larger impact on the team. Yeah, it'll be good to see him get out of Oakland too. Uh, we're uh, <laughs> for everybody. You know, we, we yeah, exactly. We freed uh, Damian Williams from the grip of Adam Gase and yeah. allowed him to flourish. Yeah. And uh, poor DeAndre Washington has been dealing with John Gruden the last two years. Uh, we also had a signing on Friday after the the big news of Sammy Watkins broke. We also had the signing of Ricky Seals Jones tied yeah. in formerly of the Cleveland Browns, and before that, the Arizona Cardinals. This is, I believe, his fourth season. Uh, so he's still a very young player. He he's was 25. a wide receiver, wide receiver in college, and he just turned 25 last month. So for a guy that for some reason, and maybe it's just he has a very distinctive name, I feel like I've been hearing about him for like a decade. But he's actually only been in the league for a pretty short period of time. He's still only 25 years old. Yeah, you know, he had a pretty nondescript um... – uh, rookie season he played in 10 games and caught 12 balls for 200 yards he did have three touchdowns which is pretty good for the low number of targets um, and then his second year in Arizona he bumped all the way up to 69 nice targets for nice. 343 yards but only had the one score and then last year in Cleveland 22 targets 229 yards and four touchdowns so I mean I think what jumps out to me is not his volume which is clearly 
not been there, uh, but it's his athleticism. He yes. is, you know, he's 6'5", 245, so he's a big dude, and he jumps and he gets up for the ball. I remember a couple very, very highlight reel touchdowns of his eight career touchdowns. So, I mean, I, you know, it's another guy. I think he's an improvement over Blake Bell, and I'm sure – Pat will make him look dynamite on a couple plays. So it's kind of like, you know, Demetrius Harris looked pretty good in this offense in 2018. And I'm sure Ricky Seals Jones will fill a nice little niche role for himself in there. Yep. Pretty good for having $177 in cap space. <laughs> yeah, pretty One good. week ago at this time, we got our Sammy back. We got our Ricky Seals Jones. We got our DeAndre Washington. And frankly, I'm just looking forward to when we flip DeAndre Washington to Houston for like a nice developmental tackle or maybe like a second round pick. While we're on the subject of news, I have to address this dumb rumor that is barely, it's not even a rumor. Okay. So uh, have you heard the rumblings of Alvin Kamara to the chiefs? No, come on. That's, that's it, ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous. And it's ridiculous for a number of reasons. Um, Number one, I saw it bouncing around a little bit yesterday on Twitter. Some people were talking about, uh, oh, can you imagine this offense with Alvin Kamara in it? And, and then uh, there was this article that kept getting shared around that said this Chiefs-Saints trade has potential. And hmm. so I was like, oh, has potential. To me, as a purveyor of NFL news, that means someone's – there's smoke. They're, you know, it has potential to happen. Uh, but no, it was just some dude on NFLRumors.com or some just completely nonsense website that was just saying, huh, well, the Chiefs could trade the Saints, uh, Damian Williams, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, and their first-round pick for Alvin Kamara and a mm. fifth-round pick. And he was just basically, he yeah. was just saying, he was playing Matt. He was just sure, saying, right. oh, this trade has potential. This could yeah. be really cool. And no. everyone then took that trade or that, that article, which is barely even qualifies as an article. It's just a guy basically daydreaming and was saying, Oh, check it out. The chiefs are going to get Alvin Kamara. It just, this is, this is the type of, and I put reporting in air quotes, reporting that just really, really grinds my gears. Gets people into trouble. You can't be, uh, can't be putting too much stock in Twitter rumors, especially ones that have the Chiefs trading draft assets for running back. That just doesn't – and a running back, by the way, who is about to get paid. Just doesn't make any sense. Uh, it doesn't. That, I, I mean – Honestly, though, even if the trade made sense and even if the player made sense and even if everything made sense, all it was was a person speculating. This guy would be cool if the Chiefs traded for him. It was just a – it's a non-story. And that, that stuff just gets me worked up. Well, let's go to something else that'll get you worked up, <laughs> which is the Chiefs and the Texans. Week Ugh. five? Week uh, six. Week six, yeah. Week six of the 2019 season, Houston coming to town after just a debacle of a loss to the other AFC South team, the Colts, the previous week. We broke that down on our previous podcast, last week's podcast, if you want to check that out. You could just skip over that part, to be honest with you, because it was just a lot of us complaining about how awful it was we we power ranked all the worst losses in the Patrick Mahomes era that was number one so while I would encourage you to check out last week's podcast just skip past that part you don't need to listen to that yeah it was our content we literally do not care if you skip it it was as painful for us as I'm sure it will be for you to listen to uh this one was one that um 
it stung for different reasons than the one before it did. Um, you know, the Chiefs were back to scoring 24 points, which was the second lowest output in the Mahomes era after the – Still felt gross. Still felt gross, and the Chiefs blew a 17-3 to lead in this game, which, um, you know, I guess we'll, we'll get them back a little bit worse than that later on in the year. But uh, <laughs> that was not – that was not a great lead to blow, and there was some awful, awful Sean Hockey Lee refereeing that was just – I'm still as upset about that first interception by Patrick Mahomes as oh, I am about sport. any play in the, in the last two years. You know what was awful about that play? And listen, you know, now that we've won a Super Bowl, it's <laughs> way easier to look back and have some perspective on all the times we've blamed the refs over the years. Yeah. You know, now that that's what losers ones, do. Yeah. That's what that is what losers do. And when people say losers blame the refs, they're right. And now that we've won the Super Bowl and we had to put up with Niners fans for two months blaming the refs, I understand. Oh, we'll put it. up with that for the rest of our lives. But, yeah, we will. But continue. I get it. But man, this was a horrible call. So for those of you that don't remember this play, Chiefs were driving. They're in Texans territory. Travis Kelsey gets mugged. He gets thrown to the ground while he's running a route. And Pat Mahomes sees it because he sees everything. He's all-knowing. He's (laughs) all-seeing. And so he knows there's going to be a flag. He chucks the ball to the end zone. It's intercepted by Tayshawn Gibson, who, by the way, also had his first interception, Pat Mahomes' first interception in 2018. I remember this because somebody on Twitter, some jabroni, said, oh, I wonder if history will repeat itself. And I – Long story short, had to delete a tweet <laughs> that I replied. <laughs> so he he intercepts the ball. Of course, Pat's looking for a flag. He gets the flag. And then they huddle, and they pick the flag up. Ugh. And the interception stands. And this keys, this was the Chiefs were up. 17-9. to nine. And the Texans then went on to just railroad us. They scored 20 points in the second quarter. 17-3 and three lead becomes a 23-17 to 17 deficit. And it just it just felt gross. I, I Every time Patrick Mahomes throws an interception, it feels gross. But this really felt like we were getting screwed. Well, and let's not forget why they said they picked the flag up. So the flag was going to be for illegal contact on Travis Kelsey. But the ball was deep left intended for Byron Pringle. Yes. So – the refs threw the flag for the illegal contact and then picked it up because the target of the pass was not Travis Kelsey, which means it was still, it was, it should have been pass interference is the, what the call should have been instead of illegal contact, but you can't review illegal contact, but you could have reviewed pass interference. It was a nonsense call. The explanation never makes sense. When, and I understand refereeing is hard and explaining sure. this stuff in real time must be very difficult. But my recollection is they also they also talked about a possible holding call. And they said that yeah. it couldn't be holding because the ball was in the air. Except yeah. it clearly was not in the air. <laughs> no. He clearly was held and shoved to the ground. And that's why he threw the ball where he threw the ball. So it was just a, it was a garbage explanation. I'm getting all worked up about it. Well, and his first pick of the year at his sixth game. Ugh. like. It's horrible. Horrible. It's horrible. So let's talk about the good things in this game. Uh, Tyree Kill had an amazing touchdown on the first drive of the game for the Chiefs. 46-yard pass. And he catches it at like the three surrounded by guys and powers them in. And it just goes to show, I mean, Tyreek is just, if you've been checking out his his workout videos in the offseason, guy is just an animal. I mean, he's literally, he's built – 
He has no neck. His body is all just muscles <laughs> yeah. and legs. Yeah. Like, like people, people joke about Madden players and how they don't look anything like real life. Like I, I used to see videos of like, Oh, Tyree kills character. Madden doesn't have any neck. Tyree kill doesn't have a neck. He's yeah. just a body with the head on it that runs insanely fast. He's, yeah. he's unbelievable. And he out muscled two guys. He's five foot 10 and he's, First game back from a broken collarbone. Yeah, I mean, it's just outrageous. It was an unbelievable play. It was, and it was a great, quick reminder of what the Chiefs' offense ceiling looked like because, you know, it had been since week one. So two, three, four, and five, the Chiefs didn't have Tyreek. And you could kind of tell that, and especially with, with Sammy being out for some of those games as well, you could tell that, the firepower wasn't all there. And then the first drive of the game, that 46-yard rainbow was just it, – it, it got me going. It, it was a very, very fun comeback uh, to the field for Ty. And then, you know, Pat looked pretty good uh, most of the game. He, the one interception is not his fault, and he threw for 273 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, probably would have had a touchdown on the drive where he threw the pick. So, I mean, who knows. But um, the offense – did not run the ball. The LaShawn McCoy led the team with 44 yards rushing and no one else had the the rest of the team combined for nine. So they only had 53 yards rushing and um, you know, we're not going to be the type of fans that say you have to run the ball because clearly the chiefs succeed plenty of times without running the ball all the time, but 11 rushes for 53 yards. That ain't going to cut it in today's NFL. Yeah. And this was after they had 36 yards rushing the previous week against the Colts. And remember the chiefs were missing uh, Eric Fisher and, you know, Eric Fisher for all of the crap that he got deservedly for the most part, you know, the first part of his career. I mean, you don't know how good you got it with Eric Fisher until your left tackle is Cam Irving. Well, I mean, I think if the dude had been drafted like ninth overall instead of first overall, I think he would have had a much easier path. It's the, it's the the albatross of being one one and saying of everybody in this draft class we pick you and uh, but he's a good left tackle and when yes. when his backup swing tackle is in there playing left tackle defending the franchise and stepping on his foot and <laughs> letting guys sack him and I mean it's just a you just pine for Eric Fisher's return. Yeah, and to be fair to Eric Fisher, he actually ended up being one of the better first-round picks in that draft. He did. Certainly, certainly one of the best picks in the top 10 in that draft. That was a lousy draft. Let's talk a little bit about the defense in this game because yeah. we, we've talked about, you know, we kind of, when we were previewing this back in week one, you know, there were there were some fun little, I say fun, this one's actually not that fun. There were some no. fun little miniature storylines kind of going on um throughout the season one you know the Chiefs can't run the ball which we're seeing in full effect this is the second week in a row the Chiefs just could not run the ball at all um this I think also this is maybe the first game here in week six where people really started to question whether the defense had any idea what it was doing yep Chiefs gave up 472 total yards in this game and frankly it could have been worse than that like there were some balls that should have been caught there were a few drops in this game by the Texans that would have gone for massive gains and the Chiefs were just getting roasted in the secondary you know uh the the pass rush really wasn't generating any pressure we're gonna see um we're gonna see obviously obviously it got turned around um but I just remember the chatter coming out of this game was like man this defense is worse than last year yeah and like where is Frank Clark and 
and where are the playmakers? You know, there now there was a super slick Traveris Ward interception in the corner of the end zone yes. that is one of the best interceptions I've seen a Chiefs defender make in a really long time. Uh, but it was still – it was disappointing. Now, the Texans do have an explosive offense. This wasn't Jacoby Brissett lighting them up or anything like sure. that. But it was it was disappointing because the defense needs to hold up their end of the bargain. They don't need to be world beaters. They didn't, obviously. But they needed to be, you know, JV beaters, and they weren't. And, uh, yeah, you're right. It was 4-2 and two after the 4-0 and oh start. Um, guys were a little banged up. They w- it was two straight home losses, which was yep. pretty brutal. Um, Chris Jones did not play in this game. Chris Jones didn't play in this Chris, game. Chris Jones being hurt. Eric Fisher being hurt. Sammy, Sammy Watkins. Watkins being hurt. Yeah. Uh, definitely dealing with some injuries. It's just funny to go look at the the defensive players in this game. Right. Uh, Terrell, Terrell McClain. Yeah, man. Ben yeah, Neiman played I, a lot. Ben Neiman um, played quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely uh, – it was kind of the B team a little bit. Other than, when you have Pat, it's never quite the B team. But sure. uh, on defense, it certainly was. Yeah, it was. And, and you know, we're going to see this turn around, obviously, uh, when we talk about the game that you and I went to at Mile High next week. Uh, that That's going to be a fun storyline. But obviously, mm. next week we'll be talking about the defense – clicking and turning Stepping around. Up. So that, that'll yeah. be, that'll be a fun little conversation. Then again, it's a bit of a different story playing Deshaun Watson and <laughs> Joe Flacco. Well, so yeah, that is very, had something to do with it. Very, very true. I'm done with that game. Yeah. yeah. That was chief Texans. Let's close the book on that. Just a, a gross kind of back-to-back uh, home losses there, but we're about to get into, well, I don't want to say the fun part of the season because you know, Pat, Pat gets hurt, but soon soon let's talk about this all decade team so sports illustrated put out uh an all decade team you know it's 2020 so it's our time to look back and reflect on the decade that was in the nfl and uh we just wanted to kind of share some of our thoughts about it yeah you know it's hard when you do a decade team because the players that rise to the top are players that played those specific 10 years i said this to you uh, earlier this week that if a player had the exact same career as someone that was named to the all decade team, but did it from 2005 to 2015, yes. instead of 2010, to 2020, he wouldn't be anywhere on the, the radar. But so you do have to kind of remember a little bit that they're looking for bodies of work from those 10 specific years. So there are guys that peaked higher than these players. Um, I thought of Arian right. Foster Arian Foster had an incredible three-year run. Uh, Jamal Charles was obviously a lot of Chiefs fans were looking to see if he might make the all-decade team. He really had about four years where he was otherworldly, and then the other six years of the decade, he wasn't really doing a lot. Yeah, um, I just want to go through the Chiefs that did make the team. So the, the tight end selections were Rob Gronkowski, of course. And our boy, Travis Kelsey. And uh, Travis made the the list despite even not playing the whole decade. I mean, right. so Travis made the team despite not actually playing a season until 2014. He was drafted in 2013, but he was injured. So you're talking about six seasons of production there. And man, I mean, what, what a six season it was. I mean, we certainly don't have any qualms with him being named to the all-decade team. Uh, he certainly was deserving. And then uh, another chief that made it, Eric Berry at safety, 
Uh, can't really complain about that. I mean, obviously, Barry had his struggles with injuries, but man, at his peak, he obviously was an incredible talent. One of the ones that was getting a little bit of buzz was Tyree Kill at punt returner. Yeah. So special teams, uh, Steven Goskowski and Justin Tucker were named as the all-decade all kickers. The punt returners were Tyreek Kill and Darren Sproles, and then the kick returners were Devin Hester and Cordero Patterson. So, first of all, Devin Hester, he was already selected as a kick returner, so you know he wasn't deemed to be eligible for punt returning as well. But there were, in fact, Tyreek tweeted about it. There were some people questioning the the selection of Tyreek Hill as a punt returner. I'm here to tell you he absolutely deserved it. So I yeah. pulled some numbers on this. Yeah. First of all. Have you ever watched Tyreek Hill return a punt? Because mm. if you have, it's a religious there's no experience. Question, there's no question that he should be on the team, right? The problem is he's too good to return punts because it's dangerous for him to return punts. And now he's an all-pro wide receiver, so yeah, nobody kicks to him. Yeah, and nobody kicks to him. That's the other. That's the other part of it. So I, I pulled some numbers on the punt returners, right? So in the uh, the ten years between 2010 and 2020. There were 16 punt returners that had three or more punt return touchdowns. So 16 punt returners with three plus return TDs. Tyreek had four, but he had four touchdowns on 85 return attempts, which Jeez. is just a ridiculous rate. So One out of 20 return attempts, he's taken it to the house. The only person who returned three or more touchdowns on fewer attempts was some guy named Jamal Agnew, who I yeah that that didn't ring a bell. Yeah, he had, uh, Detroit. Yes, he had three touchdown returns on sixty punt return attempts. Tyreek also finished second in average return yards. So his average every time he dropped back and returned a punt, he averaged eleven point eight seven yards per return, God. which is excellent uh yeah. that is actually more than half a yard more than third place which was jamal agnew and behind only devin hester who averaged 12.11 yards per return and seven punt return tds on 170 attempts which obviously the goat devin hester is incredible but devin hester was only a return guy because devin hester you know he he wasn't an all pro wide receiver so Tyreek, as I mentioned, the reason Tyreek doesn't have some of those numbers like Devin Hester, I honestly believe, Taylor, if they let Tyreek just return kicks and punts, he would set every record in NFL history. Couldn't agree more. But of those 16 players we were talking about, only four of those guys have also had 4,000-plus receiving yards for the decade. And those guys are Antonio Brown, Julian Edelman, and Ted Ginn. And all three of those guys played the end. Yes, and barely, by the way. Did yeah. you know that did you know that Tyree Kill has more career receiving yards than Ted Ginn? Uh that doesn't surprise me. Ted Ginn hasn't really been super involved in the offense, has he? Yeah, but he's been around for oh, That's fair. A, that's a, fair. A million years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and of those sixteen, there are also only eight of them that have at least one kick return in addition to at least three punt returns. Ah. So here we're talking about Tyreek in addition to being named as a punt returner, was also an amazing kickoff returner. Amazing. By the way. So Tyreek Hill has returned just 14 career kicks, which surprised me a little bit. He has one return touchdown on 14 attempts, and his average is 27.43 yards, Ugh. which is by far the best Bonkers. of the decade. In fact, <laughs> it's 1.47 yards better than Devin Hester. Okay. Jeez. So Tyreek uh, didn't get a lot of opportunities to return kicks, but man, when he returned kicks, he was unbelievable. 
I do want to spend a second talking about what I feel is a pretty significant snub. There's definitely arguments that could be made both ways, but the the coaches of the All-Decade team were Bill Belichick, Who? obviously. Okay, all right, fine. No no argument there. Squeeze and, by. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, just, just slid it on in there. The other one was Pete Carroll. And mm. I want to talk about Andy Reid versus Pete Carroll. Because because I really think that Andy should have been the nomination. So Pete Carroll took over the Seahawks in 2010. So as you said, he gets the advantage because he coached the whole decade for Seattle. Andy started, obviously, with the Chiefs in 2013. He was coaching in the NFL before that. He obviously he was with the Eagles, um, but unfortunately didn't have very good seasons, which led to him being fired and coming to Kansas City, and it all worked out. But Pete Carroll took over a Seattle team that had gone four and 12 and five and 11 in the previous two seasons, his debut season, he went seven and nine, which LOL first in the NFC West. <laughs> That's that Seattle team that everybody talks about. When I remember. They talk about the 17 playoff. So his overall record is 159 and one. That's a 628 winning percentage in the playoffs, 10 and seven, one and one in the Super Bowl. eight playoff appearances in 10 seasons. Although one of those again comes with an asterisk because he had a seven and nine record and still made the playoffs. This is interesting to me. So without Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll is 14 and 18 in Seattle, two hmm. seven and nine seasons. That's a 438 winning percentage. With Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll is 86, 41 and one, which is a 672 winning percentage. Russell Wilson's pretty good. So I'm not saying, I mean, Russell Wilson's very good. Let me tell you what Andy Reid has done in Kansas City. Like, obviously, we all know what Andy Reid has done, but I just want to contextualize. I want to—he took over a team that went two and fourteen. All right, so Pete Carroll took over a bad team. Andy hmm. took over an all-time dumpster fire. <laughs> they had a guy kill himself in their parking lot. All-time yes. dumpster fire. Yes, yes, it was awful. And Andy took that team, and the very next season went eleven and five with it. His mm. overall record in Kansas City, you thought 628 winning percentage by Pete Carroll was pretty good. Andy Reid's winning percentage in Kansas City is 688. Woo! It's incredible. 77, 77 and 35. Here's the best part, Taylor. Because, okay, you know, Pete Carroll, yeah, I mean, he could win with Russell Wilson. Who can't win with Russell Wilson? Russell Wilson's amazing. So Andy's record with Pat Mahomes, 24 and 7. That's a 774 winning percentage, which is pretty good. His record without Pat Mahomes, which would be with Alex Smith and a couple of games of Nick Foles in there. There's like a Chase Daniel game in there. 53 and 28, which is a 654 winning percentage. That's almost as good as Pete Carroll's winning percentage with Russell Wilson. <laughs> Man, and that is pretty good. Listen, if we're going for a tiebreaker here, Everybody knows that Andy Reid is an all-time genius play designer who the entire league copies. And Pete Carroll is like kind of a troglodyte. Like <laughs> I get that people copy Seattle's defense. You know, they're, they're cover to Seattle. Um, a lot of teams run that same scheme. You're subtweeting the hell out of Ben Baldwin right now. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Ben Baldwin. That's not a complicated defensive scheme, right? Like, it's a pretty simple scheme. That's why a lot of people run it and it requires good players to run well. And that's why Seattle has been very good at running that scheme because man has Pete Carroll been given some unbelievable defensive players, especially by his general manager, John Schneider. You're there are 22 names on this all decade defensive team. Seattle has three of them, which 
three out of 22 when there's 32 teams in the league is a uh, pretty Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman and Bobby Wagner. Yeah. Yep. Who all played together on the same team in their primes. Like those Seattle Super Bowl teams, the Legion of boom. There's a reason why the Legion of boom has its own nickname. Very famous. Those defenses were unbelievable. And the reason they were unbelievable is because Seattle hit on a bunch of mid and late round draft picks. Richard Sermon, I think was a fifth round pick. Yeah. Uh, and hit on all those guys at once. And you had this great defense that came together. And that's frankly where Seattle's gotten most of their success, pretty much all of their postseason success. So come on, uh, Andy Reid, it should be Andy Reid. You know, if you were going outside the decade, obviously his legacy goes way beyond Pete Carroll's. But also, Pete Carroll should have handed the ball to Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, I mean, like that alone should <laughs> knock him off the list. I didn't even want to get into the only thing that Pete Carroll really is famous for and is entirely within his control, which is Pete Carroll's fourth down decisions. Yeah. Now I'm subtweeting the hell out of Ben Baldwin. <laughs> uh, you guys, if you guys aren't familiar with Seahawks Twitter, shout out to them. Oh, Great bunch of guys. Great. And they hate Pete Carroll. Yeah. Yep. And listen, if your own fan base hates your head coach, he probably shouldn't be on the All-Decade team. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Well, you also uh, – Tyron Matthew was a defensive back. That's true. That's right. Yep, he did make the team. And Honey Badger absolutely deserves that. Uh, and really been... had his best defensive season as a Chief. So, I mean, basically <laughs> – Yeah, he did. He should be on sure. the All-Decade team as a Chief, even though it was just one season. And then, of course, all-time Chiefs great Darrell Rivas was also the named a quarterback. <laughs> So I am having flashbacks to <laughs> that Titans playoff game of him Ugh. getting over by Derrick Henry. So thank you for that. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. I wanted to give one more shout out before we leave the all decade team to Derek Johnson, all time great chief. Yes. Uh, Derek Johnson was 42nd in games played uh, for defensive players in the decade for linebackers. And despite being 42nd in games played, obviously had a couple of, uh, of big injuries that he had to battle back from, 17th in combined tackles. So 42nd in, bank, come in games played, but 17th in tackles, 7th in solo tackles. DJ was a monster. And 7th in tackles for loss, despite Jeez. being 42nd in games played. I mean, dude was amazing. Uh, he He's obviously, he's going to be in the Chiefs ring of honor. Certainly yeah. uh, an outside shot at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Just a great player. Awesome. Let's talk Pat. Yes. The moment we've all been waiting for. I, I've kind of been paying, you know, 50% attention all sure, podcasts. Sure. And now the moment you mentioned Pat Mahomes, I am lasered in. Sure. I'm talking, I'm saying a bunch of words, and you're just thinking, what's my first when pick going to be? What when are we, we drafting Pat plays? So we're going to draft Pat plays. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the format, we're going to draft 10 plays. We're going to do it snake style. We have not decided who's picking first, who's picking first. Well, you picked first last time. No, you picked so, first last time. I or sorry, that's what I meant. I, I, I meant to say I picked first last so time. So you're going to put me on the spot and you're going to make me pick first. I don't want to I feel first, that we should just alternate. And every time we draft something, the other guy picks first. That's whoever, fair. That's fine. You know, that that's way fine. we can kind of both get a little – because I know you like two and three, but, like, we probably uh, should. Man, this probably is, should this is so much pressure. I feel like drafting <laughs> the number one overall pat play, I'm going to get – That's not that hard, is it? I'm going to get blasted. I'm going to get blasted. You're not going to get blasted. I'm going to get blasted. You're going to get blasted if you don't make the pick that everyone wants. I mean, look, I think there's a unanimous decision. What is it? But maybe that's just me. I mean, you're picking first. I'm going to crush you if you don't pick this play. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Oh, come on. I don't know what it is. 
You do. I'm going to pick Wasp. Yes. I'm going to pick it Wasp. It can't be any play other than Wasp. It well, can't. I think it can be a lot of other plays other than Wasp, but I will pick I Wasp 1.1. Obviously, when we're drafting, we'll, we'll give our rationale for each pick, but obviously there's a lot that goes into it. So obviously the situation is important. No bigger situation than that. Third and 15 in the Super Bowl. You know, essentially this is our last shot. You know, if you don't get it, um, you have a real uphill battle. He's already thrown two picks. Um, and then obviously the, the treatment of it, you know, the, the NFL films treatment, the sideline shots, all the chatter that we get about it, the thought that went into that play, him calling yes. that play. Yes. But, you know, the reason I wasn't 100%, I mean, obviously it was going to be my pick. But, you know, there are going to be other plays on this list that we pick that are going to be higher degree of difficulty. This was a very tough play. I mean, he basically threw – the ball, I think 57 yards in the air with, you know, a pretty minimal windup and now just chucked it down, down the field. Can we establish what we're drafting these plays based on? Because you just said there'll be other things that are more difficult. It's just our favorite plays, right? Yeah, that's fair. No, I know. Okay. But I mean, I, I like him. Degree of difficulty is a different conversation. Well, but degree of difficulty is a factor for me. It might not be for you, but like there are are certainly some plays that like, now that's what I'm saying though. Like situation obviously plays a big part in it. You know, these are the plays that are going to be on his career highlight reel because they're huge plays. They are very impactful. And I, I know for a fact that the next play, one of the next two plays that you're going to draft is going (laughs) to be the play that I strongly considered for number one overall. But it was still a really, really, really difficult play. Uh, obviously, in a huge moment, he kind of underthrew Tyreek a little bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, for being honest, he was also um, being crushed by DeFor- DeForest yeah, Buckner. DeForest I think Buckner, it was. yes, it was, yes. and it was off his back foot, and it went sixty yards. So you know, I know. underthrowing <laughs> that, uh, it's pretty Listen, high bar. It was a forty-four back. yard play on third and fifteen in the Super Bowl on route to a you know double-digit comeback and our first Super Bowl win in fifty years. So. Let's not nitpick it. Let's hear what your pick is. First of all, I think that's going to go down as the most famous play in Chiefs. Well, I, I say that. There's a lot of Chiefs football ahead of us with Pat Mahomes. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> I mean, you know. uh, it is certainly the play of his career to this point. I don't. Th- I think if you pull everybody, Wasp would get 90% of the votes. But We're going to have to pull everybody. You realize we will this pull. now. But we, will. Okay. we will. Wasp versus the field, and I bet you Wasp crushes that poll. Hmm. So okay, all right, we'll see. Um, so I've got two picks, which is fun. <sighs> so my first pick is going to be the run. Yeah, because, of course. That's that's what was in contention for my. And, and I I get that for sure. I just think that the fact that it was in the Super Bowl gives Wasp the edge. But I'm arguing for your pick, so let's go ahead and go back <laughs> to me. Uh, the run was the most exciting play that I've seen Pat Mahomes make. Uh, it was just this sleeping giant where he's just barely scrambling to the outside looks like any other quarterback run for the first five seconds of it where he's looking downfield he's looking downfield he's stepping he's stepping to the side and then when he turned that corner and I've watched this play probably more than wasp to be honest with you and his he he misses the sideline by like three inches on his left foot and scampers cuts back inside moves the ball from his inside hand to his outside hand because he knows that i his football awareness is incredible off the incredible and then he gets three tennessee defenders he spin moves 
bounces off one of them. One of them hits the ball and it actually leaves his body and he grabs it and falls to the ground and gives the chiefs the lead before halftime. And everyone in that moment knew the chiefs were going to the super bowl. Yes. And, and as, as monumental as it was to win the super bowl, there was so much emotion behind just getting to the super yes. bowl that it's, it's, it's hard to say that it meant more because it didn't, but, that was the hill that the Chiefs had never climbed. That was the that was the barrier that they had never broken. And the moment he ran that ball in, I mean, you know, Jim Nance out of this world, and yes. Romo gushing over the whole. It, he, I'm almost speechless just talking about the run. It was incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, 27 yards with. Uh, 23 seconds left, 23 seconds left in the half. And then with the chiefs, you know, the chiefs down 17 to 14 and then getting the ball back after halftime. I mean, it it was an unbelievable play. Like you said, I mean, everybody that watched that run, including everybody in the stands and probably everybody on the Titans sideline knew that when that happened, game was over. The Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. I mean, it's it's a great pick. Man, I, and not I, only the game was over. So if that had been Damian Williams, the game would have been over. But that run was Pat Mahomes saying, I am still the best player in football. And you can't stop me. No, you can't even contain him. It was it was crazy for so many different ways. Uh, Lamar had just won the MVP, I think, the night before uh, based on his running abilities. And then Pat comes out and – the, the game at Tennessee earlier in the year was the only game in his career that he didn't have a rushing yes. attempt because he was coming back yes. from a knee injury. And he torched them on the ground, had 56 yards rushing and was picking up first down after first down. I, the culmination of what happened there with the run, I'll, I'll never forget it. Uh, I'm going to move on because. Yes. Well, I mean, we could talk about each one yes. of these. Plays <laughs> yeah, that's what, for that at was least my worry. Yeah, that was could. my worry. I was like, okay, I could just keep going. But um, so here's where I think you'll probably be okay with my selection. I'm going to go with fourth and nine against Baltimore. Uh, um, yeah. There are, obviously this gets really difficult after Wasp in the run. Um, I pick fourth and nine because it showcased a lot of different things about Pat that make him special. Uh, he takes the ball. Obviously the chiefs are down fourth quarter uh, need to get marched down the field. They're down seven and their playoff positioning's on the line. They're at home. Baltimore's playing a great game and he drifts and drifts and drifts and drifts to the side. And he's running just fast enough to take the Baltimore defenders out of the play. So they don't sack him but he's not running. He's it's fourth and nine. He needs to get that ball downfield. Right. And being able to see Tyreek Hill 50 yards down the field, streaking from left to right and back foot heave that ball with just an absolute prayer that, I mean, clearly Pat is, is so accurate downfield that that's not a hail Mary because there's right. no prayer actually involved. Right. It is a, it is a precise play, but it's just extended farther beyond any other quarterback can make it. And then, of course, it leads to a great, great comeback in the fourth quarter and all the other things that happened in that Baltimore home game that were so special. Um, fourth and nine, I'll always remember as like the fourth moment of Pat's career or so where I was like, oh, my God, this guy is like not just a really good quarterback. He's like one of the best quarterbacks that's ever played. I think there are there are 
what we're seeing with each of these plays and we're going to see them throughout the list. But for me, that play, that play was when we knew he was going to win the MVP and the chiefs were going to have their first MVP ever. (laughs) Like that's when the MVP conversation ended. Drew Brees was hanging around and Pat Mahomes said no. And I was remember I was listening to this game on the radio. I was at my wife's museum. She had an event and I went out to my car to listen to the end of the game because I, I was refreshing it on my phone and the internet was spotty. I was like, I, I just need to hear Mitch call this. I know it's close. I know that she's yeah. driving. And what was amazing about that game was this was at the same time, the Patriots were playing in Miami and here the chiefs had fourth and nine. They were going to lose this game. And the Patriots had a I believe a six point lead over the yeah. Dolphins kicking off. Uh, and the Patriots are going to beat the Dolphins. And so the Chiefs' chances at the one seed were about to evaporate. And then in the span of literally in real time, it, it had to have been two or three minutes, minutes. apart. Yeah. yeah, The Patriots lose on essentially a, a Hail Mary, although Tannehill basically just checked it down, and you've got all the weird laterals and Gronk, Drake, baby. Gronk on the field trying to tackle Kenyon Drake in space, which didn't work out very well. And then – Pat Mahomes finding Tyree kill on fourth and nine saving the game. And just, that was when, that was when we knew we had the MVP. Like he's the best player in football. He willed us to win that game. And it's just, it's such a huge moment. I, for sure, like, uh, to be honest with you, I, I had some thoughts about drafting that yeah. number one. Like it, yeah. it just I is, know. I know it's it fourth and nine is such a, especially against that defense. I mean, that the ball, that Baltimore game, he got hit so many times a in that lot. game, and he just he was getting beat up. Tyree Kill left that game and came yeah. back in. He was he well was when bad. he caught that play, he was limping to the sideline. I mean, it just, on that bomb. Yeah. I mean, it was the difficulty and the situation were both as as good as it gets. And you know, it's funny that game also had the no look pass, and that game also <laughs> had the fourth down goal to go to Damian Williams. Yes, I mean that game, and then. Pat almost fumbled the ball in overtime and Eric Fisher jumped on the ball. And then they, ah, it was, it was insane. It was, that was the craziest game. So I'm going to go with, so I get back to back now, which is a great, which is a great feeling. I'm going to go with for the fourth overall pick. I'm going to take the left-handed pass. Yep. That was my fourth. This is going to be obviously another iconic moment. You know, these, these plays, what they all have in common, is big moments, big plays. It's third and five. There's 314 left in the game. Monday night football. Chiefs are undefeated against their division rival, the Denver Broncos, who believe that they're God's gift of football and mm-hmm. one of the greatest franchises in the history of the NFL. And John Elway, greatest quarterback of all time conversation, is leering down from his booth watching the game, thinking, all right, we got this guy. <laughs> and he puts it in his left hand any <laughs> way possible. <laughs> uh, Jason Witten with just a horrible garbage call. <laughs> the worst. Just makes me laugh every single time. But just like uh, the, the, that, that's one of the moments too. I mean, there are so many iconic moments for a guy that was playing in his, his sixth game of his yeah. career. Uh, actually, I think it was his fifth game. That was week four. Uh, the fifth game of his career. Just it gives me chills just thinking about going back and, and thinking about that feeling live, watching that, just how 
unbelievably insane it was. Um, by the way, later on that same drive, he converted a second and 30, <laughs> which is insane. I, I mean, it, that was one of those games, like the Baltimore game, that just, yeah. like, we were, still, we were still figuring out what we had. I mean, I think we knew when we might get some plays drafted from his very first NFL game. I mean, like, we knew pretty yeah. early on, but, like, you remember was, Mitch's call on yes, the lefty? Yes. Yeah. Batman's left-handed. Yeah, I mean, and and shout out to Mitch, who's obviously one of the best in the biz. But when you contrast Mitch's call <laughs> to, J- to Jason Witten's, uh, you know, for him to re- recognize in real real time that that was what was happening, that he put the ball yeah. in his left hand and converted it for the first down. I mean, just uh, just an unbelievable play. So that's what I'm going to take with number four. And then – with number five, I think this is going to be maybe a little bit of an upset. I'm going to go with – I'm going to call it essentially the clinching touchdown against Tennessee. So there's 7.44 left Ugh, in the AFC championship bit. game. Nice. Well, there you go. I, I stole it. Uh, 7.44 left in the game. It's 28-17. to 17, And we talked about the run, and everybody believed we were going to the Super Bowl. But we are the Chiefs, Taylor. And it was 28 to 17. We had the ball on our own 40. It's third and six. There's still 744 left in the game. We have an 11 point lead. Like we're probably going to the Super Bowl, right? But like we've seen some shit. And so that's an understatement. When Pat rolls out to his left and he sees pressure and he turns around and he runs back to his right and then he throws the ball to his <laughs> left. And Sammy catches it in space and runs it in the end zone. That's that. That was when I knew for sure that we were going to the Super Bowl. And obviously, winning the Super Bowl is an amazing feeling. But like you said, the feeling that like, hey, we're going to the Super Bowl for the first time in fifty years. That was incredible. But also, this play was insane. All right, like, yeah, I I was watching the All Twenty Two. For those of you that haven't heard. Um, NFL.com is giving everybody a free subscription to uh, game day um, until the end of May, I believe it is, since we're all stuck in our homes. So you can go watch the coaches film for free. Uh, this play is outrageous. So I mentioned he's rolling to his left. He goes back to his right. So he, he runs to the left. He turns around, he runs right. And then he throws back across his body. It actually is almost a little bit of a jump pass. He releases the ball on the Kansas city 30 yard line. So He's 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage and Sammy catches the ball at the Tennessee 20. So he throws the ball 50 yards in the air, basically across his body running <laughs> against the momentum of the throw. And it's a dime. Like it's in an, the AFC championship game <laughs> to, to, to put us up 35 to 17 seal the first AFC championship in 50 years. It's an unbelievable play. I, I mean, it's, it's great because it hits like degree of difficulty. It ranks very highly there. It obviously was a huge moment, even though we were probably going to win the game. Like that was, that was the dagger. It's, it's just uh, it's a great play. Sammy Watkins for the touchdown. Jim <laughs> so Nance good. is just the best. And uh, that play, my euphoria was only probably topped when the clock's hit, clock hit zero in the Super Bowl throughout yeah. my whole Chiefs life. I mean, yeah. that was that was it. I was – and, you know, eight minutes to go. There are some people that even after that – and I hate these types of fans. But it's fine. Everyone does whatever they want. But 
that couldn't celebrate that the Chiefs were about to go to the Super Bowl. And <laughs> I was having none of it. I was high fiving and running around back in the days when you could high five people. And oh, it was, those were the best. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. The before times. Um, it, that's a great pick. And the game clincher is a good way of putting that because it was over. It was over at that point. Um, Tennessee's life had been sucked out of them and Sammy had his first touchdown since week one. <laughs> yeah. Which is also crazy, but you know, when that guy, uh, when that guy's engaged, he can ball, man. Yes, he can. So um, still, obviously after five picks, we have a lot of fun stuff. Um, I am going with the longest four yard touchdown pass I've ever seen, which is, 49ers, Chris Conley, Pat's first home game ever, first touchdown pass at Arrowhead. Uh, It is one of the absolute early on legacy cementing plays of Pat's career. He, he's so, he's so funny. He just, he bailed out. He scrambled left. There was guys there scrambled, right guys there scrambled. I mean, he was just, well, and he almost, he almost fell down. I mean, he basically did. He basically did (laughs) fall down. Yes, yes, he almost fell down. And when he gets up, he said after the game that the reason he had to turn the third time was because none of his receivers were running back left. So he he got out of the pocket, and he started running left, and all of his guys were screaming back right. So then he had to 180 again, run back over to the right. By now, he's back at the 25-yard line. They started at the four. He's 20 <laughs> yards backwards and throws an absolute dime to Chris Conley in the corner of the end zone. And I I just remember, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, it, are you kidding me? That's exactly people started, you know, cause he had the, he had the reputation, but he hadn't done it. And then he comes out and he beats the chargers, throws four touchdowns. He beats the Steelers, throws six touchdowns. And then this is his first game at Arrowhead. And I think people that didn't really know much about Pat Mahomes were like, Oh, Oh, this guy is like really He's like really good at football, as Taylor Lewan said. And uh, I, that I will remember that play till the day I die. We were at this game, and we this was his home debut after uh, what three road games to start his yep. career. And yep. you know, I, I mean, it was it was in a sense, you know, there was a little bit of awe at like, hey, are, is this real? Like, here we are at Arrowhead, and did our quarterback just do that? But I remember, though, the feeling, though, of being at that game, like when he came out of the tunnel at Arrowhead for the first time. And mm-hmm. like people did know. I mean, people, yeah. people Hell were yeah, people knew. were ready. Right. Like they were ready. And uh, I was dressed up as Pat Mahomes. You were dressed up as Pat Mahomes. We were wearing our jerseys. I mean, like and there were a lot of Pat Mahomes jerseys there. Um it was a, it was a crazy play. You know, I mean, he came into that game with 10 touchdowns in his first two games of the season. You know, he's coming off a six touchdown performance against Pittsburgh, but those six touchdowns against Pittsburgh, I mean, they were all clinical and you remember the wager I made. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Put a little scratch on over two, over two touch- touchdowns or, in that game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Over two. Yeah. So, um, and Scraped it was by with three. But, yeah, he you know. threw three, but uh, it was definitely when he threw that, he got his first one off the board, and I was I was feeling a little bit better about that play as well. But yeah, but what I was gonna say, I mean, the the Pittsburgh game and and especially the Chargers game, um, obviously the the first NFL touchdown pass to Tyreek was a pretty insane and underrated 
uh, TD pass. But the Pittsburgh game, I mean, it was all very precise clinical throws. A lot of it was from the pocket. Yeah. Um, and, and in the Chargers game, too, he didn't do a whole lot outside of the pocket Surgical. in that game. Surgical is a great way to describe it. And this was the first – this was the first play, the first touchdown of the 2018 MVP season that was like, you know, Brett wow. Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, like, whoa. Like, what? Well, I think watch? people that followed his Texas Tech career would say, this is the kind of stuff I was waiting for him to do in the right. NFL. This is, right. you know, the other stuff, throwing touchdowns from the pocket's great, but we've seen tons of guys do that. Wait till you see the kind of stuff he was doing in college, and then he does that Conley play. Uh, the other one that I'll pick next is, uh, a lot of flash more than any other, uh, not, it's not quite game situation. It's not quite a big moment, but man, a no look pass in football just shouldn't be possible. It's just so globetrotter. It's so (laughs) just, just, I get all twisted up just thinking about how Pat comes up with that he's going to not even look at Demarcus Robinson and completely. <laughs> yeah. I saw how he did it. He yeah. looked over <laughs> here and then he threw that way. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows how he did it. It's just, will you do will it? Will you do it? <laughs> and he will. And that's the other type of play that like Pat is not afraid of anyone or anything or any moment or any, you know, repercussions. He is going to go out there and just ball out of control every day. And that that shot that they got looking in Pat Mahomes' eyes as he throws that no look uh, pass, I mean, and you can actually see his arm travel just perpendicular across his body to throw that ball. And I just remember that when I saw that replay, because we didn't even really know during the Baltimore game how no look it was. Right. We knew that, you know, Tony, Tony Romo, Romo said, said it's almost. almost a no look. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it was 100% <laughs> yeah, yeah. a no look. He right. absolutely was not looking anywhere close to that. So uh, I had to go no look. It's uh, it's an all-time. Yeah, it's a great play. Um, it, it, I mean, we've already talked. This is already the second play from the Ravens game. And yes. then the very next play to Spencer Ware. You know, it's oh, funny. It's funny filthy. you talk about, you talk about, you know, like, we didn't know how no look it was like I remember the very next play to Spencer Ware, which was this ridiculous like sidearm laser that he basically threw through somebody to Spencer Ware on the sideline going up the sideline that play. I literally like I stood up and like screamed and I was like, (laughs) Holy crap, which I didn't do at the the no look pass because we just didn't, we didn't have the the slow motion replay to kind of give us the full perspective there. But obviously that's an iconic play. Um, and, and still like, you know, we, we've seen, uh, if you all haven't seen the the threads on Twitter, you know, there are people out here saying that Derek Carr throws no look passes. Marcus Mariota throws no look passes. They don't Patrick Mahomes. He's, he's the guy, he's the only one. Um, that's great because this gives me, there's, there's obviously we're, we're yes. going to literally do this we can every draft time. 50 of these yes. <laughs> every time we snake around we're going to talk uh-huh. about how juicy our options are there's uh-huh. still so many good plays on the table uh-huh um i'm going to go with the jump pass against tennessee nice that was my next one dude these have gone literally in order that i've had these power ranks <laughs> i so. i absolutely hate that this happened in a game that we lost in yes. excruciating horrifying fashion it makes me so angry because this was like just in terms of the pure play itself, probably my favorite Patrick Mahomes play ever. I just (laughs) tweeted today. We're going to try to put these on Twitter for everybody so you guys can vote on whose draft was better. Um, 
I just posted a still image of this today from the All-22. And Patrick Mahomes is surrounded in the pocket. He's completely hemmed in. He's got defenders on three sides. And I mean, like, basically touching him on three sides. And he finds the exact way to contort his body, <laughs> jumping up in the air, to get the ball out of the pocket, but not just out of the pocket. He throws it 22 yards <laughs> in the air to the exact spot where McCole Hardman can catch it and then run with it. And it's yeah. a foot race to the end zone. I mean, the degree of difficulty on that play. On a bum knee. On a bum knee on his first game back. It's, it's outrageous. It's honestly, like, just in terms of a pure physical standpoint, it's astonishing. Like, it's, it's preposterous. It's a preposterous play. It is an absolutely outrageous play. And, it, again, it's a play that would be higher – but for the fact that the Chiefs totally blew that game uh, in excruciating fashion, blocked kicks, you know, Ryan Tannehill, last-second heroics, it makes me really angry that that play had to happen in one of my worst losses of the Patrick Mahomes era that I just can't stand really even to think about because what a play, just an unbelievable play. Well, that's the first play we drafted from a loss. I mean, it – yeah, it's just, that's a good point. It just stands out. It's just such a – the jump is just something you don't – he does things that no one else does yes. all the time. And, yes. and to jump out of the way and throw a laser at the same time is impossible. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, what – this is at least the third or fourth play just since we've been talking and drafting these plays, a plays that you have not seen any other quarterback do. A left-handed yep. pass, a no-look yep. pass, a yep. jump pass for a touchdown. Like, those are things that, that you do not see. Now, is he the first person to ever do any of those things? No. no. Like, Dontari Poe had a jump pass. Dontari Poe had a jump. <laughs> he did. Yeah, uh, he did. Hungry pig flight. Yeah. Uh, but, I, I mean, he's done all these things in two years. Uh, it's, it's just it's crazy. So, this is going to be my final pick. Uh, This one's actually going to be – I think this might be a little bit of an upset. We'll see. So I'm going to take touchdown number four against Houston in the divisional round. So to set the stage, obviously, uh, you and I were at this game. Um, We'll we'll recap this in full when we get there in our season recap. But but to give you guys some perspective, I flew in for this game from Colorado, where I now live. I I flew in in the morning and I flew back that night. So I was just flying out for the game. So I bought a plane ticket. You know, I flew on Frontier, which is dirty cheap. Back when, you know, remember airplanes? uh, When you could travel from place to place in (laughs) short periods of time. It was glorious. Uh, So I fly out to this game. We spent, you know, God knows what on our tickets, my plane tickets, whatever. And... (laughs) obviously this game was a total disaster. The Chiefs were down 24 to nothing, but this touchdown to complete the comeback to give the Chiefs a 28 to 24 lead at halftime after being down 24 to nothing early in the second quarter, (laughs) this was an insane play. And it just, it, it sort of encapsulates a lot of things that make Pat so special. So he dragged his foot to stay behind the line of scrimmage. Which you don't see. Which you don't see. The presence of mind to basically toe tap, to stay behind the line of scrimmage. And then just the touch. There were five Texans around him and Travis Kelsey. 
like around him. There's him and Travis Kelsey and five or six Texans defenders in the immediate area of the end zone. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, the, the pass to Sammy Watkins or Wasp, you know, where he's bombing the ball 50 or 60 yards in the air. And then just the touch, he just like flicks it off of his fingertips and just moves it through space while dragging his foot, you know, puts it in the perfect spot. And, and the presence of mind Kelsey has, you know, to find that one spot in the end zone where Pat can get him the ball and then to get it there to, to complete the rally. I mean, that was an unbelievable play. And honestly, like we were there, you know, we were sitting in the upper deck, you know, watching it live it felt like he was past the line of scrimmage. Like we thought it might get yeah. called back. And yeah. it's only when you break it down, it's, it's like the no look pass. It's so beautiful that like, you can't even really truly appreciate how good it is in real time. Like you have to slow it down and realize that this is a human being who's operating on a completely different plane of existence from every other person that has ever existed in the world. Who's yeah. doing these things in nanoseconds, you know, tapping his foot, floating this beautiful touch pass between five defenders. It's just, ugh, he's ugh. a superhero. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. It is. And, uh, now I have the pleasure of picking every other Pat play in his career oh, as the, the world's final. Your oyster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So am I going to draft fourth and eight scramble versus Detroit? No. Am I going to draft around the offensive lineman to Kelsey in the playoffs against the Oof, Colts? That's a good no. one. Am I going to draft deep left to Demarcus Robinson to set up the game-tying field goal in the final seconds of the AFC Championship game against New England? No. Good one. Too. Am I going to draft the Gumby pass to Chark at Seattle where he bends, he, his body goes one way and the pass goes the other way? And he it, No, not going to do that. How about the laser to, to Travis Kelsey over the middle in Cleveland where – he put the ball in the only place that anyone could catch it for a mm, touchdown. That's a good nah, one. Not going to do that one. Uh, am I going to do the very first touchdown pass to Tyreek in LA? His very first touchdown. I was on uh, my honorable mentions. It's a, it was it's on a, your honorable mentions. It's and a beautiful he, it was pass. An RPO. He's getting hit and he just throws a, just an absolute dime. No, not doing that one. Uh, am I going to do the 69 yarder to Tyreek in the preseason 2018 versus mm, Atlanta mm. when it, we hadn't really seen Pat to Tyreek before and he's stepping up in the pocket. There's no time left in the half and he throws the farthest ball I've ever seen anyone throw and Tyreek comes down with it. And then he gives a little, a uh, little twerk at the end of that. No, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go his first game of his career. As you mentioned earlier that mm. we might draft a play from there because of what it means to me and my heart. Now, do you, do you know which game from his first game of his career I'm picking or which play? Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I, and in fact, this was the other play that I would have picked. This was down between, between two. And I'm glad that you picked nice. it because we have to talk about, we have to talk about this play because yeah. there were a lot of insane plays in this game. <laughs> and this was one, this was almost a little bit of a carbon copy of some stuff we'd seen in the preseason yeah, a little bit, absolutely. but this was his first NFL game. And it was the fourth quarter, set the stage. And Von Miller's in his face, and it's a minute 44 to go. They had just blown the – Tyler Bray had just come in and blown a two-touchdown <laughs> lead. And Pat, you know, trots back off the field. He was already done for the day, but Andy said, why don't you go out, go out there and go ahead and win Yeah, us. go win us the game. And it is he's, – he's drifting back 15 yards from the line of scrimmage with 
Denver starters running after him. And he just, he back foot heaves this bullet 28 yards down the field to a streaking Demarcus Robinson on third and like long, like 15, I think it was. And D Rob is of course, two yards ahead of the first down marker. And he hits him perfectly in stride. D Rob goes out of bounds and my jaw hasn't been off the floor ever since still has the arm strength to pull it off yeah there you go i love when we can remember all the play-by-play calls because of how many times we've heard them um that was when it was like this dude and alex was still the starter you know they still the chiefs were still hadn't played the playoff game in 2017 yet and i just remember at that moment i was ready for the pat mahomes era right now yeah that was new year's eve and it was you know what? Snowy I love Denver. About, yeah. I mean, it, it was, uh, I think, 17 or 18 degrees, something like that. A yeah. kickoff just outrageously cold. And this is a kid coming yeah. from Texas. You know, what I love about having a superstar quarterback besides everything, you know, you get you get all these glimpses into parts of the game that you don't normally see on the broadcast, whether it be, you know, a breakdown of the no-look pass or all the great stuff that NFL Films does. And there are a couple of moments from this game and from this play in particular that I wanted to call out specifically. One is when you see Demarcus Robinson catch the ball for the first down, I think it's Roby uh, is trailing Demarcus on the play. And he just like throws up (laughs) his hands. Like what the hell just happened? (laughs) What am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with this? That's impossible. We can't defend him. And and then Von Miller uh, went on uh, – he went on some sports show um, in the offseason after that one game, and they asked him, like, who the hardest quarterbacks to play against was. <laughs> and he says Patrick Mahomes. He says that dude, Pat Mahomes. After yeah. one game. Yeah. And then there was a great – that uh, the clip they did for the NFL Top 100 Players – We've already referenced it a couple of times. We're, we're quoting Judon from the No Look Pass segment. And Taylor Luan. And Taylor Luan. It's a great video. If you haven't watched it, I, I could probably quote the entire thing. But Same. they had a couple of clips from that game from the Broncos players. And yeah. they said he looks like Aaron Rodgers out there. Yep. And this was in his first NFL game. And the Broncos were on the sidelines saying, like, this guy, this dude reminds me of Aaron Rodgers. And – it was his first game ever. I mean, it's, it's just, it, you know, when you say that as a fan, because we were saying it from the time we saw him in the preseason, even before that, you know, looking at those highlights from Texas tech, this is who he reminds me of. When you say that as a fan of a team, people are like, okay, yeah, but you're an idiot. You're a chiefs fan, right. you're Homer, whatever. Don't be a moron. But then like you realize that NFL players <laughs> are saying the same thing who have played against Aaron yeah, Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, who have played against Aaron Rodgers are saying the same thing in his first NFL game. And it just, I mean, it, it's just crazy to think back. And I can remember so many moments from that game. I mean, there was another one that we could have picked where he's getting sacked on a cornerback blitz by mm. Chris Harris. And he All just, over him. He just, he just stand, he just, he just throws like a 14 yard laser, uh, to to Burt to Burt Wilson to convert the first down while he's basically being sacked. I mean, it just the play the plays that he makes. We could go on forever. We could draft we could draft two hundred yes. of these plays. When and I seen him throw that ball, I was, I was like, oh my, oh my god, god. Uh, ain't that the truth? 
it's fun. It's fun. And hopefully, and not hopefully, I know this for sure. When we draft our favorite 10 Pat plays next year, we're going to have so many. It's, it's been two seasons. We just talked about 30 plays in two seasons that make us fawn like little schoolgirls. Uh-huh. And yep. it, it's just, he does it at least once a game, most of the time, several times a game. And he also does it in a frequency that other players in the NFL are just not coming close to. I mean, he puts together a highlight reel. That top 100 highlight reel of his first two seasons is st- – oh, his first season. I guess that was before this yeah. season yes. began. That's right. And so he didn't even win a Super Bowl yet. He was no. just doing oh, – ah. No. And, in fact, like I'd love to be able to take somebody that – it would be nice to have somebody like knows a little bit about football but doesn't know anything about football. Like I'd love to take like – I'd love to take like a Tom Brady career highlight reel yeah. And then play them a Pat Mahomes career highlight reel through two seasons or John Elway or any other quarterback. Like give me two seasons of Pat Mahomes against anybody's 20, career, 20 seasons of anybody else. And yep. let's see how they stack up. Like put it in front of an impartial observer and tell me that they're not going to say this guy is the best quarterback I've ever seen. These plays are the most amazing plays I've ever seen. I mean, maybe like Brett Favre, you know, like, I was thinking Marino would give him a pretty good run. For or Marino, moment. you know, uh, but. But he never moved. He never ran. That was yeah, all exactly. He's a pocket pocket guy. I mean, Favre probably would be your, your highlight yeah. reel or, or Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, those guys have been playing for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, they're the goats of, like, highlight reel quarterback plays. Pat Mahomes and... has been playing for <laughs> two years. Uh, I tell you, man, when we called the show, It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, uh, it rings a little true other than just a play on always sunny in Philadelphia. It with Pat Mahomes, it is always sunny in chief's kingdom. 